Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your rosary on the road. I don't have any special intentions in the inbox today, but I encourage you nevertheless to write those in. You know, I always say nevertheless, but I suppose what I should say is because I don't have any special intentions in the inbox, I encourage you to write intentions in. And take advantage of the audience that uh, we've managed to gather here through the grace of God to uh, pray on your behalf and offer our own opportunity to stand before God and recognize His power over all of our lives and the fact that nothing ever happens without his knowing and his consent and therefore his power is over all of our lives and the recognition of that power is an act of humility and meekness that is pleasing in the sight of God so offer us that opportunity send in your special intentions your prayer requests no matter how small how great whether they're for you for another person for someone who's passed into the hereafter poor souls in purgatory need prayers too and you can write those in to Daily Decade Requests at ProtonMail.com. That's Decade, D-E-C-A-D-E, requests in the plural, at ProtonMail.com. We're entering the second week of Lent now. You know what? I misspoke. We're entering the second full week, but I think technically it's the third. No, Sunday's the beginning. It is the second week of Lent. That first, uh, from Ash Wednesday to the first Sunday of Lent, is kind of a half week at it sort of counts. It's the addition because Sundays aren't in observation of the fast or any of those regulations. Uh, but we are entering the second full week of Lent, and that means the message has changed. Uh, the focus has changed. And so our focus in our spiritual lives has changed as we begin the descent from, the, from Mount Tabor uh, towards the valley that will carry us to Calvary. And so this is a time when we need special prayers coming into this time. If you have not been taking your Lenten uh, dedication seriously, now is the time to redouble your efforts, to make up for your failures, to recognize your failures in a good, solid examination, and to redouble your efforts to rededicate yourself such that you might make an even better Lent from this point forward than you would have from the very beginning at Ash Wednesday. If you failed, if you've fallen, if you've broken the fast, if you've committed some grave sin, prepare for confession, go to confession, and continue on your way. The focus of Lent is, and always is, penance. Penance, penance. It's always penance. It's to make up for the sins that you have committed. That's why you go to confession before you go into the Lenten season and spend the entire time in Lent readying yourself for the salvation that comes from the cross on Calvary. And so I want to pray that everybody has a very successful, a very productive examination of conscience today, and we'll come into this second week of Lent fully prepared to redouble your efforts or rejoin what you have lost. Uh, St. John Chrysostom talks about everyone throughout Lent uh, laboring in the different hours for the uh, for the vintner, the keeper, keeper of the vineyard, the master of the vineyard who calls the laborers in. And even those who labored only from the 11th hour may rejoice in the resurrection of Easter. But now is the time to recognize that uh, the, the work is plentiful and the workers are few. Or the harvest is plentiful, rather, and the workers are few. So come labor on, as the, the old hymn says. 
And uh, I'll pray for all of you in redoubling your efforts that you will be lent the strength and the endurance and the patience of the saints, of all the saints, your individual saints, and with the aid of your guardian angels to begin the second week of Lent fresh and ready to labor on. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tu, adveniat regnum tu, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianam da nobis hodie, et dimiti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos diminimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicur erat in principio et nunc et semper et in saecris saeculorum. Amen.
Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita Dulcedo et Spes Nostre, Salve. A te clamamos, exulis filia evi, a te suspiramos, gementes et flentes, in hac lacromarum vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuos misericordes oculos ad nos converte, et iesum beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende, o clemens, o pia, o dulcis, dulce vergo Maria. Ora pro nobis, sancta Dei genetrix, ut digni officiamor permissionibus Christi. Haremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, made by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Saint Joseph, patron of fathers, of workers, of the universal church, whose memory and sainthood we commemorate and remember this month, pray for us that we may imitate thy strength and fearlessness and love for God and for his blessed mother and for himself in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Amen. For all of us in struggles, all of us in battles, all of us with something to overcome, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacratissimum Coriezum, miserere nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezum, miserere nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezum, adveniat regnum tom. In nomine Patris, Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. So today is March the 1st, which means we begin, as was hinted in our prayer, the month of St. Joseph. We've, we're leaving the month of the Passion, uh, because the beginning of Lent is always marked in the month of the Passion, and now we've entered the month of St. Joseph. Now, St. Joseph is going to be celebrated on the 19th of March, and he's going to be celebrated again on the 1st of May, uh, the 1st of May being a, and a special dedication of St. Joseph the Worker. Uh, and, and patron of the working man. And it seems, we'll, I'll do something else for St. Joseph on, on the 19th of March. It seems to be a bigger deal this year than it has in the past, possibly because uh, it's been denoted as the year of St. Joseph uh, from, the, from the Vatican. But there is also, I think, a rising interest in the protection that St. Joseph offers because one of his titles in his litany, which is not one of the six approved litanies, it's a private litany, but one of them is the terror of demons, and there are certainly enough demons around us today, in this day and age, that we long for someone who will protect us from them, and he is an excellent saint to go to for that purpose. It's also a great saint for any kind of change that's taking place in your life, whether you're moving to a new home, seeking a new job. St. Joseph is a man who had no, uh, no rest in his life. He was not allowed to recline. 
because he had to answer constantly to the charge of protection of the Son of God in flesh and of his virgin mother, who no doubt would have been subject to some great deal of vile calumnies because of her state. And the vile calumnies because they're directed against the mother of God. But for the ignorant who looked on and did not would not have any understanding of what was going on, it's really not terribly surprising they would think what they would think, after all. Uh, if the virgin birth were common, it would not be wonderful. But St. Joseph had to bear that. That was his responsibility. And it was the charge that was given to him, first, to take the Virgin Mary to wife, with everything that that entailed and the protection of her reputation uh, as well as her virginity uh, and also to protect the child Je the baby Jesus and the child Jesus all the way throughout uh, the throughout his young life and very little is mentioned of his young life but we know that Herod sought his death and we know that in the day and age in which he lived, no doubt there were other, there were many other harms that could have come to him. Uh, after all, he, if he were not human and subject to harm, he could not have died for us on the cross. And likewise, it would be no wonderful thing for him to have taken on flesh, become like us. So St. Joseph had a very, very big charge, much greater than any of us who have children ourselves, but very similar nevertheless. And St. Joseph, therefore, is an excellent patron of fathers because he didn't know what to expect. The Blessed Mother, being immaculately conceived as she was, or even, even if you do not accept that dogma, which, if you're a Catholic, you must, you don't have a choice, but even if you don't accept the Immaculate Conception, even if, let's rewind the clocks to a time when it wasn't dogmatically defined, our Blessed Mother has always been regarded as immaculate. And therefore, even in even Catholics of the 1700s would have regarded uh, her understanding of what was happening to her as very deep and very pointed. She was deeply sensitive, spiritually sensitive to everything going on around her. That's why she was able to suffer the way that she was able to suffer and endure the pain of watching Christ, the perfect victim, uh, suffer the way that he suffered. St. Joseph was not blessed with any of that. He did not have special insight. He was not particularly sensitive. He does not without original sin. He, he was truly an ordinary man in every way that you can think. And yet, he was tasked with the extraordinary purpose of raising, caring for, and protecting the Son of God, and, and doing so in complete trust. And that's something of subject today, because we're coming down off of Mount Tabor and the Transfiguration. We are entering into a, into a, uh, a journey that the apostles themselves did not want to make. When Christ said to St. Peter, and he said to all the apostles, so who is it that others say that I am? And they give a list. And then they said, well, who is it that you say that I am? And St. Peter speaks, and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ says, thou hast spoken well, 
not flesh and blood that has revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So we know that St. Peter had unique insight, granted by God. And Christ then goes on to talk about his singular purpose, which is the entire reason for his coming, and there is no other. He reminds his mother of this as well at Cana. What has this to do with us when he says that? The entire purpose of his coming is the crucifixion. It is his sacrificial death. He was born to die for us. And St. Peter protests that this should not be the case, that they should find some other way. And it's at that point that Christ turns on St. Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. And again, descending from, the, from Mount Tabor and the Transfiguration, once again there are there is always an attempt. Peter always tries to stop Christ from doing what he has to do. There's, there are several attempts to avoid the crucifixion. And then even at the, even at the Last Supper, he refuses to have his feet washed by Christ. He refuses to participate in this. It seems to his human understanding below the dignity that Christ should be afforded as the Messiah because Peter believes deep, deep in his heart in, a, in, 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 the, in his core, he believes, his faith is, is unrivaled by the, all the other apostles. None other has the faith of Peter. But his human strength, his understanding, is probably the weakest of all the apostles. Thomas is certainly much more reasonable and rational than Peter. That's why he denies the resurrection. It's not rational. Peter is a simple man. And in our simplicity, because we are all simple creatures, not given to the understanding of God, we all try to shy away from the crucifixion because it is truly a fearful thing. Bearing the cross is a fearful thing, and some of us have very fearful crosses to bear. And some of us have light crosses to bear that we consider to be fearful because of the way that we are. They're fearful to us. Every, every cross is fitted, custom-fitted to your shoulder. St. Joseph is among the most fearful and yet fearless saints. There is no part of his journey in which he does not have to be reminded by the angel, fear not. And this is important because often we talk about the angels saying fear not and the reason why that is because angels are terrifying in their uh, in their appearance and we've talked about this before when an angel says fear not usually that angel means two things first of all don't be afraid of me and secondly do not show me the reverence that is due to God alone many angels when they appear to people people fall to the ground as if in worship and the angel says fear not because in order to say the fear of God is a unique fear. Don't fear me the way that you fear God. Don't show reverence to me. I am not fitting of that reverence. That's how you, that's how you can tell you're dealing with a demon. As if in, in brilliant light, Satan may present himself as an angel of light, but he'll never refuse worship. But when Raphael appears to Tobias, when... Gabriel comes to the Blessed Mother always, always, the word the watchword is fear not Joseph does not see the angels 
they don't physically manifest to him as Raphael does to Tobit, to Tobit or like Gabriel does or the angel of the Lord who wrestles with Jacob at Peniel they don't, he do, they don't physically manifest they just appear in his dreams and speak to him but they always open with fear not why? there's a different kind of fear that St. Joseph is facing the fear of uncertainty that all men face and he has tremendous uncertainty in front of him and yet when the angel of, of the Lord speaks to Joseph and says fear not it all goes away all of his anxieties roll off his back like rainwater, and he goes forward without question in total and silent obedience to the will of God he accepts that his his bride-to-be is the virgin foretold in Isaiah and Joseph would have known the scriptures he came from a very illustrious family and they counted blood for something great in those days when he is presented with the reality that they are coming to kill the child he doesn't even think about it he's told go go to Egypt Egypt is a long is a, a slog from Palestine on camel incredibly difficult especially when you you have you have a woman who just who's just given birth albeit miraculously and has caused her no harm but nevertheless they have very little to eat they have no provisions they're outside of their native country Joseph came from Nazareth had to go down to Bethlehem and now they have to cross Sinai in the in in a in a terrible season Sinai is a is a place that is beset by brigands at this time the Roman Empire has only just come in Egypt has just emerged from a civil war many of the rebels against Roman rule in support of the of the Ptolemaic pharaohs have fled to Sinai it's incredibly treacherous terrain it's so treacherous in fact that we are told by the tradition of the church that the Holy Family encountered some of these brigands and among them was St. Dismas who would be crucified on the right hand of Christ and he showed them kindness but that did not have to be that way St. Joseph trusting in God altogether fearless before the Lord fearful of God alone walks into Sinai with his, with his wife and infant child in order to make it to Egypt to go to the land of Goshen where they wait until the time to return and they come and return again and to manifest how fearful Joseph still is having let all these anxieties roll off he's prudent the fearful is the wrong word he's prudent incredibly attached to his task he finds out that Archelaus is still ruling it's Herod's son and thinks to himself Archelaus is too much like his father it's not prudent of me to return to Bethlehem and seek a home there we're going back to Nazareth and so he goes up to Galilee now Galilee is eventually ruled by the Herodians as well the Edomites but Joseph says in prudence this is what I have to do this is the smart thing to do if I then and, and he's always on his Joseph lives his life with his head on a swivel and he's a model of all fathers in that regard. All fathers should always think that way. Plan for every event. Think about it all. Trust God above all. Think about all the outcomes nevertheless. There's a Russian proverb. Trust in God but keep rowing for sure. That's what a father does. 
And St. Joseph is that manifestation of that. All the apostles coming down off of Mount Tabor are experiencing the same thing, the same fear, the same uncertainty. Because what Christ is telling them is confusing. They've, heard, they've been taught all, everything they need to be taught about the Messiah. They know what the Messiah is supposed, is supposed to be and supposed to bring. And now all of a sudden they have him. They know that they have him. Peter in particular knows that they found the Messiah. But he's telling them that he has to die. This terrible ignominious death. That he shall ride into Jerusalem seated on an ass. The conquering hero he shall never be because his kingdom is not of this world. Now that's something that we have come to understand because the apostles were given that understanding at Pentecost. But prior to that, no man could have proper understanding of what, it, what the mystery of our faith truly is. And so they're deeply confused, deeply fearful. And they go through this all the time. Christ is constantly asked to remind them, you have no need to be afraid. And he presents himself in the transfiguration to them as part of this message, not to be afraid. Look at what is coming. Look at what will be yours. This transfiguration, the return of humanity to our intended nature in the garden, the transfigured Christ. This is what true humanity looks like. This is what will be yours, good and faithful servants. And he gives them all of this hope, and us as well, as we come into, as we come out of this first week of Lent, the adjustment period to the fasting and to the penances that we must be doing. Christ shows us this sign. This is what you are aiming for. Keep your eye on the ball. And like Saint Joseph, we have to be fearless in the midst of all of our anxieties attacked on all sides by, the, by those concerns which all prudent men have, we must nevertheless have absolute trust in God. And that's the lesson of the apostles. The apostles did not have absolute trust in God. That's why Christ had to calm the storm. They did not have absolute trust in God. That's why only St. John was next to Christ on the cross. That's why St. Thomas would not believe when the others witnessed to him. The apostles were ordinary men and given to the same faults that we are given to and yet given Christ directly and at Pentecost became the great saints that they were intended to be. And so we too must pray and I pray that all of us through the cross of Christ though ordinary men struggling with all of our anxieties might be given the blessing of fearlessness in the midst of our anxieties by trust in our God and our Lord. And through our trust, we may find that reward which is manifest in the transfiguration of the return of our humanity to its intended state and the enjoyment before the throne of Christ in heaven of that beatific vision of God in the face for eternity. St. Joseph, pray for us.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.